0: I'm going to read a verse as you guys get settled, and you can turn to 1 Corinthians. But I want to read a verse to kind of start us off. It's in Galatians chapter 5. And if you've been in church, or you've been involved in in churchy things before, you've heard the word love... But I've got one phrase I want to start with for us this morning, and it starts in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. After a list of some horrific things that we are all really good at on our own, it says this, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, or the outcome of the Spirit, is love. There's a list of other things. It's not a complete list. It's a representative list. But it starts, first and foremost, with the word love the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's, it's very easy sometimes when, when we think about the word love to get confused with the meaning of it. In fact, it's something that many of us have even misused. We may even still misuse it today. We sang several songs this morning with the concept of love in it, for our love for God. Most of that love that we talk about is a love that we would be better said or better said as affection. A love of affection says that it's this spontaneous feeling where the situation is right. And so I say, I love you. I have an affection towards you. There's other loves, and 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 the Greek word for that, we use it in other areas. Phileo, uh, Philadelphia was named with that similar root, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is, I've got this affection. I like being around these people or this person, and I have this affection for them. And we do have that response to God. Sometimes it's just like, man, I just, I just love God. He's done these great things for me, or he's just amazing. I just, I just love him. We have that affection. But it's not sustainable because you stub your toe, and all of a sudden, the affection is gone. Something doesn't happen right. The affection is gone. There's other loves. In fact, the New Testament doesn't even use this word for love that the Greeks used called eros, which is where we get the word erotic from, but it was tied even deeper into this this sexual lustful gratification that was in worship to these other gods and these pagan deities. And because it was tied so closely in that culture, it wasn't even used in the New Testament because it had such a crazy connotation. The Old Testament has a similar word in Hebrew, Uh, that directly associates it with marital love, that there should be a physical desire for each other. And we get into things like family love. Like, why do we love each other? Why Why does blood run so thick? Why do we do things? Why do we do such dumb things for our family because they're family? We would accept the most heinous crime from someone that we love as family, but our neighbor doing it, we'd call them or maybe shoot them and then call the cops, whatever it is. We've got this family love. The New Testament calls that storge in the Greek, but it means there's this family love. Here's the other great thing. Some of the writers in the New Testament combine the word phileo and storge, this affectionate love and this family love for the body of Christ. I have this spontaneous affection for those around me, and I've got this blood that's not physical, it's spiritual, that holds us together. And it forces me to love and and, and act in grace. But if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, go to the very last verse, and we're not even gonna read the whole verse. We're gonna read the last half of that verse and then read all of 1 Corinthians 13. But that verse here talks about the word love, or at least introduces the word love. And he says this. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Now, how many of you just let me ask? When I say Bill and Ted, I knew it. We've got someone already had Bob in there. Bill and Ted, exactly. Yes. Use that like, the most excellent way. Bill and Ted's excellent. Anybody? Yeah, there we go. Right on. So, the mo- I can hear it right here. Excellent. The excellent way he's talking about, for example, someone may say, I like this pizza place. And someone says, Oh, no, 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 no. That's not good pizza. This is good pizza. Someone may say, I like coffee. And I usually just scoff because they probably really aren't as bigoted as I am about coffee. There's, there's ways that we compare one thing to another. Sometimes you might say, Well, that's just apples and oranges, it's still fruit. We're comparing it, but it's not really related. The, the, the statement that Paul is using here is not a statement of, yeah, there's these gifts, but the best gift is this. He's saying, this is not even within the same league. You're talking about playing softball? I'm talking about like astrophysics. It, it, he's not even talking about something in the whole league. So he uses this statement, and if you have different versions of the Bible... There is a struggle in the Greek for them to translate it. You might say a higher way, a better way, an excellent way, a comparable way. These different. It's very difficult to find this one-word translation for that because Paul's not comparing. He's saying these are all great things, but they're time-based. They're going to be gone soon. There's something that's far beyond that that has existed before time and will exist after time. And he sets up this, this story for this, this love of God And it wasn't a popular word, the word agape. You may have heard it before, but it's the word agape in Greek. It wasn't a popular word in Greek culture. It was still used. But then the Christians got a hold of it. And they said, man, this, this is what God is about here. And they took it, and you see, have you ever seen those word studies that Google does and the usage of words in certain writings and things like that? You see the word agapeo or the root word agape, and then Christianity got a hold of it. It just went boom it's almost like the Greek language had some things that God wanted to use. So it was written at that time. I want us to realize something before we jump into reading the Scripture. You're going to see your first point this morning. That agape itself, that love of God, that his power and gifts are required to advance his mission. This is, a, this is kind of taking the last two Sundays and putting it together that as we go into agape, we're looking at the most excellent way, something beyond compare. It's outside of being able to be compared. We have to realize that we're still in this theme of God's power and God's gifts are required to advance his mission. So Paul's continuing in that theme here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and he starts talking about love, starts talking about agape. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Let's start. Paul says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If you're into uh, Bible graffiti, which I am, you can underline the phrase, but have not love, but have not love, but have not love. That's consistent in here, and it's comparative and he's outlining three major things tied to what he's talking about, so we'll go through that in a minute. Then he says this, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol." That's a direct tie to some of the worship that happened for other gods, that it was just noise, it was racket, it was meant to cause your brain and your thought process to go into something completely different, completely other. It was indistinguishable. It had no value to the people around If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have the faith, it can move mountains, but do not have love. This word is not phileo, this word is not eros, this word is not storge, this word is agape. If I do not have the God-produced love in me, I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor, I give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love gain nothing verse 4 Paul now gets into this list this list it's very hard when I did a study on this with a group of guys years ago I wrote out this section here printed it off and I put in there instead of the word love I switched the word love over and just put a blank and I said let's put our name there And let's see if that matches who we are. And you can do this as you read through it all because if God's truly residing in us, influencing our life, these are the things that we would lean towards. Will we be perfect? No. No, we're still human right now. So love is patient. Love is kind. I've already failed. I can't even read the rest. Oh, wait, here we go. I can do this. I envy, I boast, I'm proud, I dishonor others, I'm self-seeking, I'm easily angered, I keep record of wrongs. Now, there we go. I can meet that checklist, right? But no, he says the opposite. Let's read it. Verse four, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it does not seek itself. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. Paul's starting to say that, that there's something. Love never fails. That phrase there means love goes beyond. There's not an end to it. It's not going to reach where love has accomplished its goal. It's over. Love has a goal, and it's an eternal goal. And it's always reaching it. But when he gets into these spiritual gifts, he actually says there's going to be an end to them because they have a purpose to accomplish something. The purpose of the spiritual gifts that God gives us are time-based. They're to advance the gospel, end of discussion. None of this is going to be happening in the kingdom. We're not going to have a problem. Why do I say that? Well, verse 10 says this, but when completeness comes, that word there, when you look at that word, it's originally used to say The final of everything, meaning that when I get what is final, my new body, without hindrance between me and God, when the completeness comes, what is in part, what is partial, what is temporary disappears. Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. There's so much that Paul's wanting to get across. When you talk about the word love or or agape, and I'm going to use that a lot, and I apologize, I'm breaking Bible teaching rules using all these Greek words, but we have to break it down. I had a conversation with someone this week, and we talked about an article that was out, and this article was saying that if God is love, therefore any description or any portrayal of love is therefore God ordained. And I said, the problem is, is it it isn't God is love in English. It's not how it works. God is not eros, God is not phileo, God is not uh, lustful, God is not just affectionate. He's got a love that goes beyond. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, I, say, I quote this all the time because it's the biggest picture of agape, that while we were sinning, kicking him in the mouth, spitting and cussing at him, saying we don't want him or need him, he loved us. That's love. That's Agape. Just because there's affection between people doesn't mean God's involved at all. I have a lot of affection for the corner brownies. There's no God involved in that. And after a couple of them, I'm begging for God's forgiveness, but he wasn't involved in that. It's not that it's like this God-ordained thing, so therefore, since I have affection, it's justified. No. Actually, it's probably more of like a lust than, than, than an affection. Maybe a combination, you know. Philae eros, I don't know. But agape itself, let me give you a definition. I don't have it on the screen. Uh, Maybe we'll put it on on the Facebook page or or Instagram or something, but you can get it later. Agape is this this is kind of a a mixture of definitions that I gathered. It is not an emotional response to beauty, performance, or likability, it's a decision and attitude dedicated to the other person's benefit. Whether or not that other is likable, lovable, deserving, or responsive. Think of that. Think of how every marriage and friendship and relationship would change if that's how we operated. That's what God told us to operate like in John chapter 17. They will know you are Christians by your love for one another. I'm sorry, John chapter 13. By your unconditional care. For one another. You know, when I think about the word agape and I think of love, and you go through all of Scripture and you see this picture of God's love, it's, it's very difficult when we read Scripture through a filter of first century eyes or some sort of social justice gospel. We, we miss the fact that God's love was before time, and as He operated with His people, He operated in love. And we miss that whole picture. And it's important for us to realize that even in the Hebrew, they had separate descriptions for how God cared for them. Separate words that they used, just like in the Greek. They separated them off to say, this is is an unconditional experience here. This is not something that's based on how good or how smart or how whatever you are. This is based on God's character. And it's important to realize that, that as we go through Scripture and we realize that agape is the ultimate power. It's the original love. For the teenagers in here, you probably know exactly what I put when I put OG in there. Agape is the ultimate power and the original love. It's the love we try to manufacture on our own. It's the love that we try and mimic. But what do we fail all the time? Because someone doesn't meet my standard, doesn't meet my expectations, doesn't do the things how I felt. They don't respond like I thought they would. So therefore, they're dead to me. Because if they really loved me, then they would have responded. It's an unconditional care. And we have to start and realize that 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 love standard, that agape, is God's standard for love, for how we interact, how we interoperate. It's centered on God. It's from God. And here's the detail. If we center love on me or anyone else, it leaves agape. Because it becomes conditional on people that can fail. Unless you're one of the few people that haven't made your first mistake in life, we all have failed. We've all messed up. But agape says, because of God's greatness and God's love and my trust in him, I love you. And if you fail me, God hasn't failed me, so he's going to keep loving through that. If you don't meet my needs or meet my expectations, I'm going to still love. Why? Because God's holding me. That's why the word faith and hope are tied with agape. Because they just, they work together. But without that agape from God, that faith can be very weak. That hope is very, very weak. But if we've placed our hope and we placed our faith And we trust in the work of God's love inside of us. It's amazing how agape can happen. Verse 31 talks about this most excellent way. And it's important to realize that as we look for evidences of Christians around us, some of us can actually say, if I was to hand you out a poll and say, write down the top three things that you think make a Christian a Christian. I guarantee you all of us could figure that out. All of us could go, yeah, I've got the list. I've got it. Some of us will be right. Some of us might be partially right. Some of us might be dead wrong. But the real list of what makes us a Christian, what validates our faith, the real thing that validates it is that it's agape. The evidence of God in us is agape. It's not a gifting. It's not something where you can say, and I remember someone saying this before, yeah, I just, I just really need to ask God for, for the gift of love. And I just said, Jesus dying 2,000 years ago, offering the Holy Spirit to empower you for the rest of your life, saying the first primary fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life is agape, isn't enough? So you don't need more God. You don't need more spirit. You need to submit more to him so he can work inside of you. And this goes back to two weeks ago that oftentimes we get frustrated in life when we go, I just need more of the spirit. No, we need to quote John when he said, he has to increase, but I have to decrease. It is a mutual thing. I've got to get over myself so that he can get into me. We are our worst enemy. Or we're the best person we've ever met. <laughs> Usually we're our worst enemy because we're the best person we've ever met. You didn't know I was the best person you ever met? Let me tell you about me. We all know that person. If you don't know one, maybe you're the one. Gap is not the gift. The relationship with Jesus is a gift. The agape is the working of him. Why do I say that? Well, John, who walked next to Jesus, says in two different places in the places he wrote Scripture, he says here in 1 John chapter 4, he says, my beloved friends, let us continue to agape, each other, since love comes from God. Where does it come from? God. Does it come from you? No. That's who it comes from. If, if we ever have this temptation to feel or say, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not feeling love, stop and get some more God. Submit yourself more to his will, to what he has. Maybe there's something that we've said no to over the years and we've pushed out God a pushed out God a pushed out God so that he barely has any influence in our life. Sometimes when we're not feeling it, it's because we don't have the work of God in our life. Next, he continues on, says, everyone who loves is born of God. More evidence and experiences a relationship with God. He continues on the person who, who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. Now think of this, there are so many, some of us may have even grown up in a church or religious environments that there was no love going on, but yet they said the name Jesus and and they had Bibles and and you knew that because there was face prints from you on the Bible from being hit, all these different things. But there was really no existence of true God-changing, life-changing love. And I'll say what my pastor said to me years ago when we were in a mentoring class with with other pastors. He got asked the question, he goes, hey, if God was to come back and take just his people right now, how many people would show up for church on Sunday? He said, we'd probably still be full. Because so often we misinterpret, we look at the, the manifestations of things around us and say, well, that's God. We look at what's happening instead of understanding why. And we start seeking after the physical things. And we claim God and we say all these wonderful things, but it's not really him working. We don't really know love. I'm not saying that everyone who has a bad day or has a bad year or just doesn't feel it sometimes is not a Christian. What I'm saying is that it takes God active in our life for agape to happen. End of discussion. If there's a people group or, or a set of, of, of individuals or whatever it is that, that you get very frustrated with and you just can't seem to get over, that's an area where God wants to be involved. How do you know that, Pastor? Right here. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't know love. He's going to be working inside of us. And he says this, this is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. The, the inabilities that we have to be able to love, to be able to be unconditional, would be abilities by his power. Not abilities by me just squeezing harder. And I use this analogy all the time. How many of you have ever grown any kind of fruit trees or fruiting vines or anything? Anyone? Yeah. Now, what was, for me, when I had a garden, the favorite thing I used to love to do is go sit in the middle of it and listen to the plants scream and squeal and push all the fruit out that they were making, right? No, that's because that doesn't happen. Plants make fruit because of what they're pulling into them, that they're able to operate how they were designed. If you don't have the right nutrients, you don't have the right soil, you don't have the right input into those plants' lives, guess what doesn't happen? Fruit, That's called trying to grow fruits and vegetables in Florida on the beach. Nothing grows. It just looks like all dried up grass. I promise. It was an apple tree. Next, says this. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. God has always been unconditional in his love, always. Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4 go into this, this little bit of a trick question from Paul related to love and righteousness. Paul says, Listen, did Abraham become you know, righteous, truly filled with God, because he did all the right things? No, there was one thing he believed. Another phrase that's used in there is devotion or allegiance. He believed. It wasn't because Abraham stopped doing bad things and did gooder things. had nothing to do with it. Abraham still did some dumb things, but he still had God's love. He still had his protection. He still had his relationship. John chapter 13, written years before this, by the same person who wrote 1 John, says this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you speak in tongues. if you have the right version of the Bible, if you wear the right kinds of clothes or don't wear the wrong kinds of clothes, if you go to church all the time, if you say these different things, make sure you have hashtag blessed in all your Facebook posts, whatever it is. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, not by any manifestation that can be faked if you have love for one another. Trust me, we all know when we've been fake loved. We do. It's usually the smile at the drive-thru. The only place that means it is Chick-fil-A. If you've never been to Chick-fil-A, you never experienced Jesus food. <laughs> Chick-fil-A says, it was my pleasure to serve you. Now, no one's going to say that without, like, acid coming out of their mouth if they don't mean it. I just got real southern right then, sorry. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's very differentiating in the world. The world wants to create teams, create groups, create cliques, create all these things that separate us. Paul makes it so clear as he goes in the book of Corinthians, I don't want to be separated by anything except for your responsiveness to Jesus. That's it. That's where we start he wasn't here to moralize, where he's getting into here going, well, I came to Corinth, and I realized these pretty horrific things you were doing, so I tried to get you to stop sleeping around, and and then I tried to get you to stop cussing, and I tried to get you to stop doing this. No, he said, listen, our problem is God. We've got to reconcile with God first and foremost, and then those other things go away. Why? Because those are the worship of other gods, and if I'm worshiping the creator God, I want to do it his way. It's that simple. It may not be easy because we have habits, we have consequences, but it is simple. And simple doesn't always equal easy. So it's important for us to realize, and I just beat this forever over the past few minutes, is that gifts, the gifts of God in our life, they don't validate faith. Why? To be honest, we can fake them. We can absolutely fake it. You don't believe me? How do you think people make millions of dollars, millions of dollars off of certain television shows? Are elements of that real in certain cases? Maybe. But true and genuine love for another is what differentiates us. The gifts don't validate our faith. The living God inside of us does. Now, the first response to that is, is a lot of times by certain personalities and certain Christians, and they don't mean it bad all the time, some of them do, is, well, wait a second, how do I, how do I know that i they're a Christian? I can't see that. I can't really know that. What we're really saying is, I can't judge that. I can't pick what team they're on if I can't see what they're doing. So oftentimes in the church, we like to create these different teams and go, well, you're only really a Christian if you do these things. And God says, listen, the purity of how humans like to operate is completely selfish, completely prideful. We all know that. We all absolutely know that we are all prideful and selfish people. But then God comes in and does something. I was meeting with someone this week, and they talked about how God has changed their life over the past year. That they notice like certain things just aren't a problem anymore. It's literally a miracle. That's how God works. You go next door to the center here to Daltine Challenge, and you see some of these guys. You know the ones who are faking it. The guys that work there, that are on staff there, know the ones are like man, they are going through the motions. They're saying all the right Christian things. There's no real transformation of God because you can say and do all the right things and not really know God. So Paul is wanting to remove the ability for men to separate each other by our acts, by our performance. Christianity, as man defines it, is purely performance-based. It absolutely is. Most of our life is performance-based with people. You got a guy, you're down by two in a basketball game, There's no time left on the clock. He gets fouled. He better make those two shots. He makes one shot. He's awesome. You guys are going to overtime. It's perfect. He misses that next shot. He's a complete failure. Why? He should have made it. It's performance-based. But that's not how God operates. That's not how agape operates. It's not based on those conditions. Matthew Jesus talks about Matthew, and this was actually before a discussion within the gifts of the Spirit, but you see the gifts of the Spirit, us having a little bit of history here. Jesus is saying, listen, Jesus is actually talking about fakes. The whole version, uh, chapter 7 in the first part, he's talking about fakes. He's talking about false prophets, people who are out to seek their own. And he says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, which he was using the, the phrase, master, master, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. What did I say two weeks ago? I said that we don't need more of the Spirit. We need more submission to God's will in our life and in our churches. Not everyone who calls out, why do I say that? Well, here's, here's something that comes up next. He says this, on Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. What was one of the gifts that Paul talked about? Prophecy. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Casting out of demons was a a messianic power. Prophesied. Cast out demons in your name. And perform many miracles in your name. Miracles being one of the big gifts that were in there. The work of the Spirit and and freedom in other people's lives. We did all of these things in your name. Meaning we borrowed your power, God. Then what does he say? This is Jesus speaking, but I will reply. I Never knew you. Yes. Never knew you. There was never a relationship where it was going on fine, and then all of a sudden they just started to step away. This is a pretty solid word. If I say I've never eaten, well, this would be a lie. Um, I've. I don't know what I could say. Never. I've never been to. I don't think I've been. No, I have been there before. I've never been to Bolivia. There we go. If I say I've never been to Bolivia, that doesn't mean that I might have been there before in the past, but I'm just not going back, does it? No, if I say I've never been there, I've never been there. So when Jesus says I never knew you, he says get away from me, you who break God's laws, he's not talking about, wait a second, how could they have broken God's laws? Look what it says here. They did all these awesome things. There are awesome works that will happen. God will allow it. God will, will even use it. But that doesn't mean that the person was actually truly his. Now here's what I want us to do in this because here's the first temptation in this scenario. It's to actually break agape and to think of other people instead of ourselves. Our first response on this right here is I never knew you and it's like yeah Frank I know God doesn't know you. But what if we said But Jesus will reply, Joe, I never knew you. Yeah, there were things that were happening. I never knew you. Never had that relationship. Never, never did the true love of God get into me and change me. It's a personal reflection because if we go anywhere else, we go actually into not love is patient, love is kind. It's envy, it's boastful, it's proud, it's dishonoring, it's self-seeking, it's anger, it's keeping of wrongs, it's delighting in evil. If we respond to this point here differently. See, love always applies. Love always has this, this blanket to it. And this is the next point. Agape itself is always true and it's always sincere. It's always wanting the truth. But it also is a, the word sincere, we have the phrase, what you see is what you get. The outside is affected by the inside. That's what sincerity is. Reputation is based on the outside trying to hide the inside. Sincerity says that the inside is affecting my outside. There's no guessing. And that's what happens with the agape, is that our life is constantly affected by it. And it's difficult sometimes that when we think about all the things we can watch in the Christian church throughout time, throughout history, through our own personal experiences when we look at Christianity, when we look at the church, and we start to try and, and, and look at what's happening, we get into a point that I want us to realize before we move further, and that is that the way we do something is not the same as why we do it. Why do I say that? If we were to say that the way we do something is what changes us, we're gonna break, remember this from years of teachings here, we're gonna break this one rule, that I can't make a physical change to affect a spiritual problem can't happen that's why our call is not to moralize our call is not to force people to stop sinning because that's just what they do our our call is to share that they can stop by serving their creator that they can be free by returning to their creator that's what our job and call is as Christians so when we process through the way we do something oftentimes we want to mimic the way we want to go, well, this is how the Christians do it. This is how you do church. That's one of the worst things we've picked up here in America. Man, do we know how to do church. We've got all the check boxes and the methods. If you go to another building, they're going to do things somewhat similarly. Why? Because we can do church. But we know that there's a difference when we start to see the why that motivates what's happening. I'm not minimizing or maximizing or or talking down about how church executes today. Are there things we could do better? Absolutely. Absolutely. The first of which is agape. That's our biggest problem. We need to make sure that we're focused on the work of God inside of our life. Why do I say that? Well, Paul gets in the first section of 1 Corinthians, he says this, that if I'm, if I'm talking with the tongues of men or of angels, he's not validating, in this case, an angelic tongue and a human tongue. He's using what's called hyperbole to compare extremes and saying you can talk every human language, you can even talk these, these angelic or God-type language. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do if it's not motivated or empowered by the work of God by love. He then gets into fathoming mysteries and prophecy and knowledge and faith. But if you don't have love, there's literally emptiness. There's purposelessness. You can be completely dedicated to social justice and be completely impactful in the community in ways that just blow people's mind and get all the accolades because it says Boast here. All the accolades for being a great loving person. But if it's not done through agape, there's no gain. There's no gain. So I want to have three points for us to consider on this as we think about the why Things happen in the body of Christ. First off, the most extreme display of gifts, whatever it is we want to call it, is completely pointless if agape isn't present. Why do I say that? Because we will do it To serve ourselves. Why do I I say serve ourselves? Because we won't be patient. We won't be kind. We will be envious. We will be boastful. We will be proud. We will dishonor others. We will be self-seeking. We will be easily angered. We will keep those record of wrongs for people who aren't like us. We will delight in evil. We will shun the truth and say, God is sovereign. He works however he wants, even if it violates Scripture. We won't protect. We won't trust. We won't hope. We won't persevere. We will fail. If we focus on these things in our own power, that's why Paul is pulling on this in this section. So it doesn't matter if we're trying to validate our faith by going, man, I just don't feel like a Christian. I need to do these things. What we need to do is have our face before our God. The most impactful relationship we could ever have is spent right on our face before God, going, God, I, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I need your power. And he responds every time. Maybe not how we think, Most of the time, the first prayer is, God, I give up my way. Because we're like, God, I submit to you my requirements of what you should do in my life. Instead of submit to you my will, you have your way, not mine. Because it's very easy to create the list and go, God, here's how I'll prove you're performing in my life. Next. We talk about all these things going on of of faith and prophecy and all these different things. If we really try and create our value by the fact of what we say here or these magical acts that we may do or being able to speak the truth of God in some impactful way or we always have this wise response on everything, if we do not have love, if we do not have the God himself uh, work, agape, residing in us, I am nothing. I don't have any value without fulfilling what I was designed to do to be in perfect relationship with my God and most of the time I will have a conversation with people I just had one last weekend with a guy at Anchorage and my response to him was oh, honestly it sounds like an identity problem he goes what do you mean he said and I said listen I, I don't think you really realize where your value truly is. Your value is not here in these areas and how good you can perform here. Your value is the fact that you have a creator and that he has a purpose for you, that he has to work inside of you. Otherwise, we don't feel that value. We, we all have some weird things we do because of insecurity, don't we? We have certain things we say, we have certain things we, we do, and, and, and some of us maybe act opposite of our personality because we're insecure, whatever it is. Insecurity comes from not knowing who I am. So I have to make it up. I have to guess at it. But if we have God working in us and in control of us, he begins to say who we are. That's why we sang that song last week, I am who you say I am, God. And finally, social justice, when Paul talks about here in this next section here, he says if I give all these things to the poor and my very body is sacrificed to make sure that they're taken care of, social justice is only half of our call as Christians. Now, some of us may have heard the opposite preach, that that is our call, and that's not true. Some of us may have heard that, that this entirety preach, saying that we should be nice to people and, and take care of all their needs, because that's what God calls to do. But that is not true. God did not call us to take care of physical needs only. But in the caring for physical, we can care for the spiritual. In fact, I will say this, that if we are only going out to care for spiritual, we're missing half of the gospel message. We have to realize that got a chance for for years to do third really fourth world missions in certain places and when you look at someone who's starving, sitting in filth and you say cheer up, Jesus loves you you're you're right I totally didn't even realize that, I'm going to be happy now let me just take another cup of water out of the sewer that runs through my house Take a sip. No. No, there is a physical work that the Messiah was doing, and I have and said for, for many years that if we go and fix the physical without the spiritual, we have a lot of people that are happy and, and fed and not hungry and, and having all these great and wonderful things in their life and still never reunited with their Creator and die and go to hell when they die. But if we do the opposite and we sit here and hammer away the gospel with no real tangible work In their life, why is it real? So we have people who die of starvation before we can ever finish sharing about Jesus. It has to be both. And that's Jesus' work. Jesus would always combine. He'd have a healing and he'd go, what? Your faith has healed you. It was a combination of reaching their physical needs and their greatest problem, spiritual a lot of times we have these questions of why Jesus did certain miracles and why did he use this and why did he use that and we create all these fake things around it and I heard someone teaching on, on, on the healing of a blind man with spit and, and, and he tried to use this, this social discussion about things and, and the reality is is that spit was a medical tool in the Greco-Roman days that they thought would heal and so because this man's faith was in doctors but it never worked for him, Jesus said, I'm going to do the same thing doctors are doing and it is going to work and it did. Sometimes we need those faith activators. Sometimes we need that that physical touch, and then the Spirit just comes alive, and it comes connected. So social justice is not the call. It's part of the call for us as Christians. And like I said this last week, man, if you got someone on the side of the road, they got a flat tire, guess where they're not going until you're done fixing their tire? Anywhere. So guess what? Have I told you about my friend Jesus? You know, flipping around, and all of a sudden they're like, I'm really uncomfortable right now. I'm like, well, I've only got one lug nut off. We've got a whole bunch more. What are you going to do, drive away? So here's the challenge I want us to think about. We can't abandon our call to the whole gospel, the whole message of Jesus the whole truth of who he is. If you go through and you look at the gospel, the gospel is not Jesus saves me. The gospel is a message that we have been for thousands of years under the rule of other spiritual powers that want to literally torture us and kill us. That hate us with everything in them because of what we represent. And that God came to destroy them and provided us freedom Out of and unto a life back in relationship with our designer and creator. And that at the end of this life, we don't have a hope in today, we have a hope today because of our tomorrows. That that's why when things go bad today, it doesn't it doesn't have to bother us because God's got my tomorrow. He's holding it. I rest in his hands and in his will. So when we submit to God and and He's working in us, we've got these traits that come out in us as He works. And here's a quiz for each of us individually. I don't want anybody looking at somebody else or thinking about somebody else. I want each of us to think about these things that I put up on the screen here just personally. Because the temptation is to look at that and go, well, that's not how she does it. That's not how he does it. Um, Love keeps no records of wrongs. Which one fits better? Put your name in there. Blank is patient, kind, rejoices in truth, always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, always persevering. I'll tell you, I want that one. Or this one. If it was multiple choice, you know, I'd pick B and I'd ace the test, right? Because that's me. That fits. That's it. Most of the time, this fits better for for who I am. And don't you dare sit there and judge me. I told you, think about yourself. Is Joe is envious or puffed up or bragging or rude or self serving or easily angered or resentful, delighting in evil? Delighting in evil. Delighting in evil. Think of delighting in evil. You know what I realized? I was watching, how many of you really like those fail videos? Like people absolutely eating asphalt for like six feet or whatever. That's delighting and evil. It's definitely self-serving. I don't think there's any benefit to the poor guy in the video, man, as he's sliding down on his chest on the asphalt and his skateboard's back there. That was a joke, by the way. It's tempting sometimes when we look at the list of love attributes. You know, we look at the previous list and we see this list of things like, you know, patience and kindness and, and rejoicing in truth and always protecting and trusting and hoping and persevering. We look at that and we say, that's what I want. I think that's what all of us want. We would, we would all like to be more patient we would all like to be able to come up to a stoplight and be five minutes late and actually be okay with it or come down KGB at any point during the existence of that God-forsaken road and actually not be bothered by it, especially school buses. I love school buses. I'm just saying that people lose their mind around them. And what happens? They get impatient and drive around them. Which I think the school bus people should turn sideways like they did over there and what up somewhere in the northeast. Impatience, kindness, rejoicing in truth. Think of the work of God that would happen if this is how we operated with each other. And I'm going to sound like a salesman here, but but wait, there's more. This is possible. Okay? For just $0 down, you too can have this. Why? Because God can work inside of you. I will tell you, you want to know impatience and unkindness and, and not rejoicing in the truth, not very protectful, trusting, hoping, or persevering? Go ahead and watch a video of my life in my early 20s. Oh my gosh, my, my oldest two kids have the same driving response, maybe my, just my oldest one, the same driving response to people. Like I always wanted to have a bumper sticker that said, I'm surrounded by idiots, that's what I feel. felt like on the road. It was like, man, nobody here has a brain. I'm the only one that knows how to drive. Why? Because I wasn't patient. I wasn't kind. I was definitely not rejoicing in truth. I wasn't very protecting except for of me. We should have the work of God inside of us. Here's what I want to close with this morning. Today's a special day for multiple reasons, and yes, when I say close this morning, I will be closing in just a few minutes. This morning is a special morning. He was woohooing because of a special morning, that's right. This morning we're going to be having a baptism. If you haven't been baptized, or, or when we pray that you decide to hand your life over to God, and and leave it in his charge. You're more than welcome. I think it's like 94 degrees now. It's super comfortable out there. We have the heated baptismal. Okay, don't twist it. It's not the pastor's hot tub. It's the heated baptismal. I don't want to go to jail, people. We could get in a lot of trouble. So I'm just going to close with two points. And I want you to look up on the screens here because there's something I think we need to realize. When we look at those list of things, we can love like he loves when he is in charge of our life. We can. It's, it's not something that we have to worry about like, oh, I just, I just need to be a Christian for longer or whatever. No, we need to be submitted Deeper. Now, our faith does grow over time because we watch His character and His faithfulness. Absolutely, time is a big deal for some of these things. But in reality, the work of God, his, His work inside of us begins to come out. So if we really want that love of God and to love like Him, we need to constantly put Him in charge of our life. And here's the thing I want us to realize, because it's the first temptation that we get to, is that we start to believe that our faith is tied to our gifting or our performance. We start to think that our faith is tied. We we may think, well, I'm not like this person over here, because they do Christian stuff differently than I do, so maybe I'm not a Christian. I don't say things like this person does. I don't act like this person does. I don't think these things the person thinks, whatever it is. Our Christianity, our faith, our relationship with God is not tied to the fact that I meet some performance requirements. It's tied to the fact that I have a relationship with my Father in heaven. So here's what I want to close with in prayer this morning. You can put your Bible and your notes away. There's two things I want to do. Number one, it's only 12.02, so this proves I have agape for you, right? So I'm, I'm ending earlier. No, here's, here's what I want to do. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes. And I want to ask two questions. While the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, here's the two questions. The first question is this. This morning... Something became clear about who God is. And it's time to respond to him. I'd love to pray with you if that's you. Amen. 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 The second question is this, and we're going to pray the same thing together. The second question is this. Is there an area in your life where in that list of things you said, God, I want more of this, or you said, God, I want less of this? I want to pray specifically with you on that. That maybe it's less of the envy or more of the patience or less of the bragging or, or, or the, the resentfulness and, or more of the trust or more of the, the, the truth or whatever it is. I want to pray specifically for that. Why? Because when we say, God, I need you, and this is the area I need you, guess what we're doing? We're giving it up to him. That's why we finished with that song this morning, Lord, I need you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together. You can pray this quietly to your seat, or to your seat, in your seat. You can pray this just under your breath, whatever it is. But pray alongside with me, God, I want more of you in my life. I want to really be filled with your work and not mine, God. I ask that you would help me to have more of that that one thing in that list of love. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's, God, I, I ask to have less of that negative list In the list of love. God, help me to submit to you every single moment of every single day. And to trust you in all things. Here's the reality of it all. If that's prayed from your heart right now, we can next pray this, and I'll close us in this. Thank you, God, for filling us Thank you, God, so much for you coming inside of my life, for coming inside of our lives, and making it possible to have those gifts of the Spirit. Making it possible to have the power, the very very essence and proof and evidence of you in our life, your love working inside of us. Pray that you would continue to work, God and that we would give you glory at every turn. Amen.